today, Romans chapter 7, verse 22 to chapter 8, verse 13. Paul writes, he's speaking of himself as a Christian, for I, as a Christian, delight in the law of God in my inner being. And by law there, he means my fundamental self, uh, my who I truly am, my identity. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, my body, another law, another force, or another self, or another person, waging war against the law of my mind. Strong words, waging war. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, my body. And then this is the apostle, the great apostle with all his theological weight and strength, speaking as a, as a, a flesh and blood believer, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, that's who I truly am, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And in light of this ongoing battle with sin, Paul concludes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And by law there in verse 2, he, he means our inner being. So there's been a fundamental change of who we really are. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, that's a different kind of law, that's the Old Testament law. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. All the law, as in the Old Testament law, could do is, is, is show you that you were a sinner because you couldn't keep it. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and yet without sin, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh, that is in Christ's flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, and just mark these two words and we'll come back to them, in us. Not for us, in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the... Where are we? For to set the mind on the flesh is death. ESV gets you, always. For to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit 
who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Amen. And may we uh, understand uh, what God teaches here in his word. Let me pray uh, to that end. Our Father, these are great uh, truths uh, that we've been grappling with over these past few weeks in Romans, and we pray that we will really understand what it means to live as a Christian in Christ, not least uh, as it pertains to our ongoing battle with sin. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, on the service sheet, you'll see uh, some points. And one-third of the way down the service sheet, verses 12 and 13. And my job is to have 10 minutes at the end of our talk on these last two verses. They are the two verses, if you like, that apply all of Paul's argument up to this point in the letter. Now, Paul wrote Romans to encourage Christians. He wrote it to encourage Christians individually, and he wrote it to encourage Christians corporately in churches. And when we think of sin, it's really important that we don't think of the sin, the battle with sin, purely individually. We need to think of it corporately in the context of a church. That's why we have churches, families, small groups, that we might be accountable to one another in the realm of these battles. And there are two big problems that Paul brings up against the gospel. The gospel is justification, we're set right by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel. And Paul faces the gospel up against two real problems of life. Number one, that I still struggle with sin. Such that the apostle can say, wretched man that I am. Is the gospel true? Does it work? Have I missed something? Is it a bit I haven't got? That's one problem. The other big problem that he brings the gospel face up against is suffering and death. Now I can guarantee a number of things this morning. That every one of you as a Christian, struggles with sin still. Nobody disputed that after service one. I can guarantee that if you are a Christian, you have or certainly will experience suffering. None of you will be exempt. And I can guarantee as a Christian that you will die. So, is the gospel true? Does it work? That's Paul's uh, question. Uh, I've been thinking this week of what do you say to somebody when they're uh, dying, if you're with them? You say things like, which are of great comfort to them, you will soon be free of suffering. You say that to relatives, don't you? You'll soon be free of suffering. You know what we should also be saying to people as they come to the end of their life? You'll soon be free of sin. 
Both are important. And when we think of the new creation, life in eternity with God, we tend to think of that world as a world free of suffering and death. But it's also a world free of sin and the struggles of sin. And that's just as wonderful. So Paul is writing to Christians as a Christian in light of his ongoing and our ongoing battle with sin. And up against that, he says here in Romans 8, in conclusion, three things. There is no condemnation, and there is liberation, and there is resurrection. So no condemnation. You have been saved from the penalty for sin. I don't know what's going on in the kitchen. <laughs> liberation, you have been set free in your inner being from the mastery of sin. Now Christ is your master. And then future resurrection, you have been saved from the presence of sin. The reason I, I say future resurrection, you have been saved from the presence of sin, is that the guarantee that you will be saved from the presence of sin is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So that's why I've gone for you have been saved from the presence of sin. So, this is where we're going. If you sit here as a Christian this morning, and I, one of the questions that a number of you are asking is, how do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know if I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit? There are two answers to that, that you understand the gospel and believe it. The other answer is that what Paul is describing in Romans 6, 7, and 8 is a description of your life. Rog made that point last Sunday very powerfully. If what Paul is talking about here is entirely alien to you, the struggle with sin, then almost certainly you are not a Christian. And what a great opportunity the Lord's table, as we remember his death, gives you to become one and begin to walk in the Spirit. So, to the Christian struggling with sin, Paul says, first, there is no condemnation. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. Verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, condemnation is everlasting judgment in hell. It is a physical reality for those who are not in Christ Jesus. The Bible is clear on that. Jesus, in particular, in his teaching. And for the Christian, that judgment is gone. There is no condemnation. Entirely gone. How? Because our sin, this is the language of Romans 8, verses 2 and 3, our sin, your sin, was condemned in the sinless flesh of Christ. So as the Lord's table reminds us, when Christ died and his body was broken and his blood was shed, he bore our sin 
upon himself and he bore the condemnation for that sin. And that condemnation was born, absorbed, quenched, dealt with, literally condemned in the sinless flesh of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just pause on one word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. You see, I've referred to John Piper on the sheet. If you want to listen to some great material on Romans, John Piper is probably the most, in my view, helpful to listen to online. There's a lot of sermons, but he has a great sermon on the word now. And effectively, he says this. What does that mean? It means that, as you sit here this morning, now, there is no condemnation. I mean, that's great. That's a marvelous thing. We will all stand before the Lord Jesus at judgment, but as we sit here, long in advance of that, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, remember the gospel. What is it? It is justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If the gospel was nearly or 99.9% justification by grace through faith in Christ, then you could not sit here and hear these words, there is therefore now no condemnation. What you would hear is, there is therefore for you almost certainly no condemnation. But that little bit of uncertainty will dog you with doubt and a lack of assurance until that day, and then you will know. The gospel means you know now. And it cannot get bigger or more significant than that, that as you sit here this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, if all that is being described here you understand in your head and it describes your life, then for the whole of eternity, your place in glory with Jesus Christ is guaranteed. And what is the alternative if that were not the case? An everlasting eternity in a physical hell, a place that God has prepared for the devil and his angels. So it really can't get bigger than that. Secondly, you have been liberated from the power of sin. That is Paul's focus in verses 2 through verse 10. Now, really what Paul is talking about in these verses is this. He's not really talking about no condemnation, although he sticks it in in verse 1. He's really concerned about the ongoing life we have as Christians, this being liberated from the power of sin. Just follow really carefully with me, and you'll see what I mean. So verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
In other words, a change has taken place in your inner being so that you have been set free, liberated from the power of sin and death. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, that's the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What did the law do? If you try and keep commandments to be righteous, they will just show you that you can't. How has God done what the law could not do? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, fully God yet fully man, and for sin, in order to deal with sin, he condemned our sin in the flesh, that is the sinless flesh of Christ. In order, verse 4, now wake up if you've fallen asleep, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled, you expect it to say, for us. For us. It doesn't. It says, in us. The righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. And if you are in Christ Jesus, this is talking about you now, who walk, that's you, not any longer according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What has Christ's death achieved in us? We have been saved from the power of sin. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, my life and my experience says otherwise as a Christian, let me be bold enough to guarantee to you that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have come empty-handed to the cross with a repentant heart and receive salvation, if the battle with sin describes you, let me guarantee you that you have been liberated in your inner being from the power of sin. Now, let me come at you again. You're thinking, no, I'm not. All I am is just more and more conscious of my sin. What I see in you is transforming lives. And some of you occasionally encourage me and Rog and Sam and the other preachers that you see it in us. What you feel is that you're not being transformed, but you're becoming more sinful. And what I feel is that my battle with sin are intensifying. What is happening is that the more you grow as a Christian, the more you become conscious of sin. And you change. Things that you used to be indifferent to, you no longer are. Your conscience comes alive. And you feel wretched, like Paul, because you become so acutely conscious of sin. And yet I guarantee that if we met the Apostle Paul, we would look at him and say, that man is growing in godliness. That man who goes home at night and kneels down by his bed and says, God, wretched man that I am. Which is why we need a church. Which is why we need small groups. Which is why we need each other. I was walking with someone this week in the dark with a dog. Um, and once they got used to the fact that wasn't too abnormal, uh, I said to them, they were at uh, Cord, where all the students and small groups are, and I guess this goes on in house groups just the same. I said, what were you doing? What was it like tonight? It just started going. And he said, well, there's a group of people in there seeking by God's grace under God's word to grow in godliness. 
That's exactly what's going on. How does that happen? When the word of God reminds you who you are and your brothers and sisters in the Lord encourage you. Now, Paul goes on in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 to say again and again and again and again and again, Christian, in Christ Jesus, you now walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. You now live in the Spirit, not uh, uh, live in the flesh. Your mind is uh, no longer hostile to God. Your mind is focused on, on, on God. Something has happened in us. Let me give you um, the illustrations I've given you before. Um, let me change the golfer, though, because Rory McIlroy has dropped down the rankings. Uh, I don't know who's number one. Let me give you Justin Rose. Uh, he did win an Olympic gold medal. He is a brilliant golfer. Nobody disputes that. He is a prestigious talent. What will improve your game the most? A, a book for Christmas or a DVD. Justin's top tips for golf. That's A. B, a lesson with Justin Rose on the braids. Expensive, but useful. Or if somehow Justin Rose and his hand-eye-ball coordination, which is phenomenal, some way made it into your body and your mind so that when you stood on the first tee at the braids, you could hit the ball like him. What would you rather, A, B, or C? Being a Christian is not about getting a book called a Bible that is top tips for the Christian life. Being a Christian is not about having Jesus playing a round of golf with you. You know, the the language we often use as Christians is, Jesus is with me. No, he's not. He is in you by his Spirit. That C, could it be that the Christian life is a little bit like having Justin Rose in us every day? Absolutely. Guaranteed. For every Christian. That's why... We preachers beat the drum again and again that this building is not a temple. You are. That God has chosen to make his residence on earth, in your minds, in your bodies, just like a golfer coming to live in you. And that would Allow me to say, biblically, that transformation in your life is a certainty. It is guaranteed. But it will feel like, wretched man that I am. That's why you need to go to your small groups or meet with another Christian, whatever it is, and say, look, you are growing. I can see it. Be encouraged. The other illustration we've often used is a ship or a castle or a fort that is in enemy hands. Uh, And what happens when you are converted, when you're in Christ, is is the Holy Spirit or God takes control of the bridge. You know, that God's hands are on the wheel. And, and the movement of that ship in the direction it's sailing in turns around. And there's the Holy Spirit on the bridge of the ship, the inner being of your life, your soul, if you like. And like the ship 
there are still enemy resistance all over the ship. They've all just gone and hidden in all the, the decks and all the rooms and all the rest of it. And, but the bridge is won. And because the bridge is won, the captains turned the ship around. And bit by bit, and it might take a long time, every room, every part of your body, every compartment in your mind, every rivet of sin will be won. And of course, that's where Paul goes. When will that be? When the Lord Jesus comes again. Now, these are helpful illustrations, I think. And what, what may happen is that you think, that's not me, that's them. And let me come back to you again. And we keep saying this up here, and it's right to say this. The Christian life is not about what you feel, because I will feel differently tomorrow than I do today. The Christian life is about not even what you know about who you are. That's Romans 6, 7, and 8. You are a new person. Thirdly, Paul says, you will one day be free from the very presence of sin. In the first service, somebody said to me afterwards, you seemed a little bit sad at that point in the talk. And I, I wonder if, as wonderful and as encouraging this is, it is equally sobering, because you and I know that we are a long way from being free of the presence of sin and suffering in our lives. Which is why it is very important that we don't stand up here and tell you that there is some kind of realm of experience out there that if you go there or someone touches you or this or that, you will move to a higher level of Christian experience. That's not true. You are growing. You are real. The Spirit is in you. No condemnation, liberation, and resurrection. Verse 10 and 11. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. The battle with temptation and sin will go on till the sinful body is dead. Only then will I have a resurrection body, a sinless body like Jesus. Only then will I finally be free from the presence of sin in my life. Now, Paul's point is that that sinless eternity is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. When your body dies, your bust cruciate ligament will die with it, or your cancer, or your dementia. There's a, a realm that very powerfully illustrates the consequences of suffering in our world, dementia, and all these illnesses. When your body dies, they will die. And when your body dies, lust will die. Greed will die. Envy will die. 
covetousness will die. And you will be raised with cruciate ligaments intact, a mind as clear as a bell, and no temptation ever again. And we do well, I think, as Christians to recover that balance in how we speak of the new creation. Not simply the freedom from suffering, but the freedom from sinning. Now, we've not done badly. 23 minutes. I didn't count the reading, which is only fair. Just to say, we do confess to our sermon-length sin every Wednesday. And uh, um, I'm not um, top in the right sense of the list. But today, my average will reduce. It's really important we finish with 12 and 13. This is where it's all leading. This is about Monday morning or Saturday morning. I find Saturdays much worse than Mondays now for some reason. Maybe it's I'm a minister. I don't know. Life in the Spirit means putting to death the deeds of the body. Some of you as theologians will, will know about this mortification of sin. John Owen. Read some of John Owen's stuff on mortification of sin. How to put to death the deeds of the body. And this is not an optional thing. It's a must and an inevitability. So it comes at us, you've got to do this. Oh, look, it's happening. It's like walking on the escalator. Or it's not walking on it, that's being saved. It's being, oh, I know these airports have these huge escalators now to get you from gate one to gate ten. It's like standing on it and it's moving and then beginning to walk while it's moving. That's what it's like. So then, brothers, we are debtors, verse 11, not, verse 12, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Obligation, do it, and inevitability, it's being done in you. What are the deeds of the body? Well, Galatians 5, the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and drunkenness. And that great long list is intended, whenever it's read in a church, is to reel everybody in at the end. We're not all guilty of all of these things, but we're guilty of some of them, probably more than we think. Why should we put them to death? Well, You should understand this now, I hope, from Romans, because you owe them nothing, because it's dying out stuff. You don't need to be dominated by covetous any longer, because when you die, you'll not have that with you for all eternity. It's dying out. You see what the gospel promises. Say you struggle hugely with lust or pornography. The gospel is not saying to you, you need to go somewhere to somebody for some extra experience to help you deal with that. The gospel is saying to you, look, it's all there. You can do it. You can do it. You can make progress. Think of 10,000 times 10,000 years in eternity. You will never, ever covet or lust after anything. How do you put them to death? Well, this is where Piper, I think, is brilliant. 
And if you know John Piper's preaching, uh, you listen to these sermons, they're great. He has a whole sermon on fighting as a victor, not a victim. And his point is that, that, that we sing songs about the cross and salvation and justification, and we sing songs of victory. But when it comes to the Christian life, we fight like a victim and not a victor. We don't fight sin as if we are on the winning side. Or the illustrations that Rod used in the last couple of weeks. You know, when you are a Christian, you're not living on death row anymore. You're not behind bars. So don't fight sin as it were behind bars. Fight sin as a free man or a free woman. Or never fight sin. Waiting for a verdict. Fight sin, knowing what the verdict is. Somebody uh, followed up a question that Paul addresses in chapter 5, I think, at Romans. How come if I am justified, why can't I just do what I like? Why can't I just live as I like? And there's some logic to that because you're not condemned. And that person spoke to me today and he said, now I understand why I would never ever want to or be able to live without battling with sin. Isn't that great? You, you, almost cannot, you can't marshal all the theological arguments, but it's just true. Because there's this change going on in you by the Holy Spirit. Fight as a victor, not a victim. Face up to sin. In other words, I want you to do this for me now. In the secret of your seat is put before your eyes whatever it is that you really battle with. And I suspect for many of us it's a low-grade volume to sin, or it might be something really severe. Maybe someone is tempted to commit adultery. Maybe. Put it before your eyes. Face up to it. And then put the cross between your eyes and it. Not behind it, in front of it. And see your sin now through the eyes of the cross and the nails that were nailed into Christ's sinless flesh in the cross are nailed into that sin. It is mortally wounded. Crucifixion guarantees death. See it through the cross with nails in it. And then fight it and kill it. Put to death what has been mortally wounded. How? From the inside out, not from the outside in. In other words, by God's power and not in your own strength. Now, at that point, John Piper said in his sermon, or one of his sermons, let's pray. And he came back a week later and he said, look, we need to look at this even more practically. Even more practically. How do you do this? Well, let me just commend to you what uh, he wrestles with from Scripture. You see it on the sheet at the bottom, very practically. Acknowledge my inability to do it on my own. Let me use the example of adultery because it's as stark as Paul wants us to go. Acknowledge your inability 
in your own strength to walk away. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that which bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Pray for divine enablement. Ask God to enable you to walk away. Pray for your Christian friends. To this end, Paul says, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In a real church, in our small groups, people will be praying to that end for one another. Keep them, Lord Jesus. Keep them godly. Help them to say no. Help them to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Pray for divine enablement. Help me, God. And then trust in the promises of God's Word. What does Peter say in his letter? You have everything you need for life and godliness. Therefore, be godly. Or therefore, allow the Holy Spirit to have his course into that little part of the ship that is your life that has been off limits, keen Christian elder for 30 years. Let him in. Act in obedience to God's word. Just do it. Walk away. But you see the difference if you jumped immediately to four and you hadn't gone through. And it sounds like a, a system here. It's not a system. Please don't. It's like Roger's diagrams. The Christian life is not about diagrams, but understanding, though, what they say. When you get to walking away, you have in your mind and in your heart said, Lord, I cannot do this in my own strength. Please help me. Thank you for promising. And let me encourage you and promise you from God's word that you will be able to get up and walk away. Not every time, but more and more and more and more, and more and more. And then in the new creation, the thought will never again enter your head. Act, and then thank God. And the, the words thank God are, are thank you God, but also thank God, thank God for the gospel. Thank God for my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Thank God for protecting my marriage. Thank God for enabling me to conquer this or that or other. And that's Romans 8. 
And the more I preach on this material, the more confident I grow in the gospel and in the word of God because there is nothing that I can lay my hands on that describes life exactly as it is like the gospel. Now, let me appeal to you, if you are a Christian struggling, to listen or listen again to what's been said. Do not allow the devil to say to you, this is not you. I am not making progress. Let me encourage you, and I know many of you, and others, your small group leaders know you, you are growing in grace and faith and godliness. The fact that you all pitched up here this morning is great. It's a good sign. The fact that 90-odd percent of our core group are going away for a weekend together next weekend to grow in grace. One of you here, when you were coming to, and this has been in my mind all day, so it's not manufactured, when you were coming to a small group on Tuesday on your bike down Morningside Road, fell off your bike and slid right down the road. What happens if a bus had been behind you? I mean, that's perfectly possible. There was somebody killed on the Hermitage. A man cycled into a parked car. He was killed. The person who slid down Morningside Road is in Christ Jesus. So don't mess around with your life. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that it's true and powerful and real and describes life as it really, really is. And Lord, in our hearts, many of us here, preacher included, first of all, are saying, wretched man that I am. But thanks be to God for the glories of the gospel. And Lord, as we hear a little tiny child cry, that little child has no idea yet what kind of battles they will grow up into in this life. But there is a gospel there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is no condemnation, there is liberation, there is the promise of resurrection, and there is the living, sovereign, omnipotent, holy God living in us by the person of his Spirit, changing us from the inside out. He has the bridge, and therefore, the victory is won. Help us, Lord, to wrestle until we understand these things. Or to come now empty-handed, empty-handed, undone by mercy, and stand at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, enabled by this simple act of communion, as our minds are focused on the cross where Christ died to make us free. For Jesus' sake. Amen.